chapter 25, chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, and we're starting with verse 21. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and said, why is this happening? She said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. It's a little scary. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying home with the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us time to be in your word. We thank you for this special youth day as we celebrate the gifts and talents and energy of our young people. And Father, as we get into your word, we may we have a message that touches us where we are, regardless of our age. May we have something special that comes from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Two nations are inside of you, and they will be separated and the older will serve the younger. Now, I, I, I grew up in a home of uh, three boys. I was the middle one. And so, although I had an older brother, uh, I was closer to age to my younger brother, Greg. And because Greg and I were closer in age, closer in height, stature, all that stuff, my parents tended to have us do things together all the time. We even would wear the same clothes. You guys remember some of the pictures that I had uh, revealed to you, those intimate pictures uh, of some of the outfits that we wore. My older brother would always be in a different outfit than Greg and I, who had to dress up the same. And because of our proximity and age, my parents always expected me to be the example to my little brother. Now, my older brother Bob could be his crazy self, which he would be at times, and that was okay because he was four and five years removed from us. But I always had to be the example. I never, I'll never forget how my mom would always tell me to share, tell me to, to, to help my brother get out of his little chair and, and, and help him put on his shoes, be an example, right? You're the older brother. And I always wanted to tell my mom, I'm older, but like by 14 months, right? It's not like I'm that seasoned, all right? So I never understood at times why it appeared that mom would favor my brother. Now, some of you, got, some of you uh, uh, kids have at times, you know, slept with your parents in the bed because you didn't like being in the dark by yourself and you had a bad dream and things like that. Well, my younger brother, Greg, every night was night in bed with the parents, every night, right? And so I would always go to my room, and Greg had his room, but he would always make a beeline for the parents' room, right? And so one of these nights, I just said, Mom, I just don't think it's fair that he always gets to sleep in your bed. I always get to sleep by myself. 
can I at least have one night? So my mom, being the judicious, fair parent that she was, said, it's okay. Tonight is your night. I was so excited. I was absolutely thrilled. Night with the parents. And when I woke up in the morning, removed the sleep from my eyes, I heard the birds chirping, the sun rays dancing on my bedspread. <laughs> in my room. Wait a second. Did I not fall asleep in my parents' room? I stormed out of my bedroom. I walked down the hall, and I cracked open my parents' door and looked in, and behold, I saw the culprit. <laughs> that's how I kind of spent a really wonderful childhood, but that's kind of how I spent most of my childhood. You know, whatever toy I had, Greg had to have as well. I always felt like I was the older one serving the younger one, that there were like two nations, right, that, 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 that would be separated. And, 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 and no matter what I was doing, if he asked for the toy of my liking, I had to give it because I was 14 months older. Mom said, now, you're older, share. So I would share, and then he would be off playing with my toy, and I would have to, like, make do with some blocks, you know? But see, one of the things y'all don't know is, well, maybe you've probably gotten a clue, but I was highly creative when I was younger. So I don't care what I had to play with, it was always fun. I mean, I always had plots. And when I had my toys, you know, some kids would just, like, dump their toys out and just start playing. Everybody started fighting. That was my younger brother, Greg. He'd just dump all his G.I. Joes out. There was no plot, you know, nothing. No, me? Everything was just, it was, it was all strategically planned out. I had a story arc that, that continued from last week's episode. You know, I, 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 had, I, had, I had love and romance, you know, mingled. I know I was six and seven, but, you know, I spent too many times watching novellas with my mom. Shame on her, shame on her. And so I always had like what we used to call good action, everything. I mean, there, it was, I mean, there were explosions and special effects and, you know, I would have all these nice props for the, for, 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 for the, the time of playing with my toys and, and then sometimes I, I would mingle all the worlds together so Megatron would somehow find some interdimensional time warp and, and meet up with Skeletor, you know? It was, it was dynamic and, and, and somehow Darth Vader's, you know, second cousin removed new Lex Luthor in another time. And so, I mean, it was powerful. And every time I did my thing, my little younger brother, even though he had taken one of my toys, would then look over at me having so much fun and look at his toy and then look at me and look at his toy. <laughs> I want me what? It did not matter. Everything I had was his. And then, of course, I used to love to draw. And I would draw these really cool pictures, and then my brother would look at me drawing pictures, and then he would start drawing his picture, and his picture never made any sense at all. <laughs> I have to be real. 
He was always trying to be like me, right? But it didn't make any sense at all. And then I'd go to my mom and say, Mom, look at my picture. And my mom was like, oh, great. And then my little brother would tag along. Picture wasn't even completed, right? Oh, oh, look at my picture, too. Look at my picture. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I love your pictures, boys. You guys did a really good job. Oh, Mom, which one is better? <laughs> of course, my mom. I love them both the same. They're both, they're both better. What? Doesn't even make any sense. Mine is obviously, obviously better. This is a cat and a dog and a bird. You don't even know what that is. <laughs> Say I'm better, Mom. Say I'm better. Nope, not going to go there. And then the last straw. On his birthday, my younger brother, because, you know, anytime I had a birthday, he would cry because it wasn't his birthday. You know, y'all been there if you had siblings. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's the day it's supposed to be about you and your little sibling has to make it about them. He wants to blow out your candles. No, I'm five. I've earned this, back up. So, so I, I, I remember that my, my parents feeling so bad that Greg didn't get anything, decided to buy him the, the most coveted vehicle among children of my day. He bought, they bought him a Dukes of Hazard. Anybody know Dukes of Hazard? Come on. Some of you are like, come on, I'm taking it back. All right? A Dukes of Hazard Big Wheel. Now, for those of you who don't know Big Wheels, understand Big Wheel. Big Wheels were three, like three-wheelers, right? They're kind of like a tricycle, but like a low-rider tricycle. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, so, so I had a little tricycle, and, and, and you know, there's some silver metallic tricycle, and Greg now had a big wheel. And what was so cool about this big wheel, not only was it a low rider, you know, with the low profile tires and everything like that, this big wheel also made noise. It had like a little plastic strip that was, that was fastened uh, close enough to the wheel so that when the wheel went around, it would make a ticking sound, you know? Ooh, that thing could purr. Ooh, I love that big wheel, right? And, and, and then if you went fast enough, you could actually slam on the brakes by lifting up this lever, the brakes, the emergency brakes, and the big wheel would spin out. Woo! I love that big wheel, right? So we would go outside and we were playing, and I just didn't look as cool on my little tricycle. You know, you just don't look cool on a tricycle. Tricycle don't have, they don't have like 10 speeds, so you know, it's just like you're going up a hill, it's And Greg is on his. Spinning out. Oh. But I was going to trick him. Oh, I was going to get him. In fact, it was almost kind of in the same way that Esau would eventually trick his brother. And Jacob would trick Esau and go on back and forth. But I tricked him. My tricycle had a G on the front of it, and I used my mastermind to convince him that that G represented Gregory. <laughs> I said, little brother, when they were designing this tricycle, they were thinking of you. <laughs> that G means Gregory. You're Gregory. 
this tricycle and you were meant to be together. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have anything that was made for me like this was made for you. But I'll give it to you. It's yours. And my little brother, trusting his older brother, he fell for it. And I had a chance to ride the big wheel. Ooh, and I'm telling you, I knew how to ride it. See, Greg, he didn't know how to use the stick shift and everything. Me, I knew how to roll up on people, right? I mean, and I see a couple little five-year-old, six-year-old honeys. I roll up on them. What's up? You mean this old thing? You want to ride? Well, that would mean I have to give you a turn because we don't have two-seaters here, so uh, maybe next week, all right? Play your cards right. Graduate from kindergarten, okay? I felt so good, so confident. There was something about being in that big wheel. I, I actually felt like I, I was blessed that my parents somehow had conferred some type of honor upon me. I was in the Dukes of Hazard big wheel. And then my dad came out, and it was time for us to kind of put the tricycle and the big wheel back in the garage and get into the house because the sun was about to set. And I don't know, my dad kind of rolled up on me wrong, you know, in front of all the honeys, you know what I mean? And he said, son, it's time to put your tricycle and big wheel back in the garage. Time to get into the house. You talking to me? I don't know what I don't know what came over me this time. I, I got out of the big wheel, stood up straight. I looked at my little brother. I said, "Watch this. This is how you get. This is how you do this. Okay? You watch and learn." This is, this is six right here. Watch it. In front of the neighborhood. I said, Dad, shut. I can't even finish it. <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to allow this stuff to go to my head that made me think I was somebody I really wasn't. For some reason, I wasn't satisfied being the five-year-old or six-year-old with the tricycle and being obedient and doing the right thing. There was something about the tricycle that had, I mean, the, the big one that had empowered me to the point where I was going to do whatever I want, when I wanted to do it, because... You know, in America, the... Most prolific white-collar crime is identity theft. Most of you don't know it, or some of you have experienced it already. But people stealing your identity. Because of technology today, it's easy. Facebook just had some issues because of too much personal information. People are able to find out your social security number because you have your birth date, and they can find out a couple numbers here and there. All right? most prosecuted white-collar crime in America is identity theft. 
Someone stealing your identity. Someone stealing your person. Someone stealing, in a sense, your value. They can take your money. They can take your credit. They can run up bills because they were able to steal something that was not theirs. Identity theft. I was able to steal something from my brother. I believe that by having the big will, I was going to be somebody that I wasn't without the big will. I believe that with that big will, I would be powerful. I would be, I would be popular. I would feel loved. I would feel appreciated. I would be able to truly have fun. And so I was willing to steal no matter what the cost was, no matter if my brother was, was trying to pedal a tricycle that he, he didn't have the legs to even pedal. It did not matter. I was going to take it by any means necessary. And our story, it's kind of interesting because, because the Bible tells us in the prophecy that there would be two nations that would come come from Rebekah's womb. There would, be, there would be one son Esau, one son, one son Jacob, and that one would be stronger than the other, and the other would serve. And from that, we actually believe that these brothers must be contentious from this point on. Just because Jacob was clasping the ankle of Esau, we believed that they were wrestling, they were fighting, that they wouldn't like each other. What in our mind made us think that there was something wrong with serving, something wrong with sharing, something wrong with giving? I don't know. As a kid, I thought it was, it was beneath me. I'm the oldest one. He should serve me. But when we look at Christianity, doesn't it flip the script? Isn't it make serving the cool thing? Isn't that what Jesus says? That if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be what? A servant. That's what it's about. Esau would serve Jacob did not mean that he was less of a person. Me sharing my toys with my brother didn't mean that I was less important in my family. It didn't mean I was less loved. In fact, it really was a privilege that I could walk in these steps of Jesus, that I could be like God, that I could choose to share what God has blessed me with with others. Somehow in Esau's mind, he had it twisted. It was a bad thing. Maybe he had heard it from one of his aunts at Thanksgiving. Maybe he had heard it kind of whispered around school that, you know what? We heard there's a little prophecy about you. Your little brother's going to get you. He's going to be better than you. I don't know what it is, but the Bible tells us that Esau comes home after hunting. His dad is playing favorites. And parents, I'm going to tell you right now, don't play favorites. Mama loving Jacob more, Esau loving Esau more. Don't do that. Don't do that. Your kids should never know. My mom did the right thing by looking at those drawings and say, I like them both. I still ask her today, which one was really better, mom? Come on, be real, be real. <laughs> but my mom did the right thing. You don't play favorites. God doesn't play favorites. He reigns on the just and the unjust. Even when it comes to enemies, he's treating enemies like he cheats his friends. All right, don't ever play favorites. So Esau comes back home from, 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 from hunting, and, he, and he's, ready, he's, he's ready to feast. But the problem is, the problem is with Esau is that he's so hungry, he doesn't have the strength to even cook. And the Bible says, come on, go with me real quick here. Verse 29, it says, once... When Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red stew. I am famished. And the Bible says in verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. I want your birthright. I want, I want to be in the pecking order where I'm above you. I want what's due you. I want the respect that the oldest gives. I want that. Sell me your birthright. But Jacob said... 
verse 32, but Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright anyways? I'll give it to you. Can I I make a suggestion? Youth, please don't make decisions on an empty stomach. Has anybody ever been to the grocery store when they're hungry? Don't you buy about everything? Doesn't everything look good? I think I'm going to have Twinkies for breakfast tomorrow. Hostess cupcakes and Twinkies with some milk. I can just stir it all up. It's going to be good. When I'm hungry and I'm going to the grocery store, everything looks good. Every, I don't even like meat, and some of that meat starts looking good to me. Everything looks good. And do you know that in our lives, when we make decisions on an empty stomach, on an empty spirit, when we don't feel good about who we are, when we don't feel like we have an identity, we don't have any worth, when we don't feel special, when we don't feel loved, do you know that when we're on empty that we make poor decisions, we take in anybody, we go for anybody, we'll do anything? That's what happens. And let me tell you something, don't make decisions on an empty stomach. You must be filled. I know there's too many people that make mistakes at 13 and 14 years old because they don't feel loved by their parents. So now little Jimmy, little rug rat around the the neighborhood, wants to pay them some attention. So now now it's special. Don't make choices on an empty stomach. Parents, we can learn from that as well. Amen? Making decisions on an empty stomach. You don't feel valued because your partner ran out on you and no longer is there and you're a single parent and, and, and you need somebody to validate you and feel special. You feel too empty. You feel lost. You, you feel like you're left alone and you allow anybody to come through making choices on an empty stomach. You just received your first full paycheck. It's been a year since you've worked. First full paycheck and you want to spend it on mess. For the longest time, you haven't been able to buy the things that you want to buy. So now your first full paycheck, there it goes. Making choices on an empty stomach. And I'm telling you, don't make those choices. I don't care if the kids in sixth grade or the kids in junior high don't think you're popular, don't think you're special. If you think there are things that you have to do, if you are willing to sell your birthright, if you are willing to give up your worth, if you are willing to to divorce yourself from your identity, who you are in Jesus Christ, in order to just simply be accepted, in order just to feel your belly for a moment, it's not worth it. Some of us will give up everything just for a moment of satisfaction. I was at Rio Lindo uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago for a week of prayer, and I said something. I said something about guys that guys don't typically hear, and I said it from up front. I said, these guys who have this locker room talk and talk about how, oh, yeah, you know, I with this girl, I with that girl, and oh, man, it was all this. I said, guys aren't even real about stuff. They'll act like it was fun, it was exciting, they have another notch, and they don't even want to admit that when they were doing some of that stuff that was seen as being cool, they were thinking to themselves, this is scary, this is weird, I'm uncomfortable. They were feeling insecure, they were feeling awkward, they, 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 they felt disconnected. And so when it was all over, they were like, why did I do that again? But when they're around their boys, oh, man, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, man. 
And this last Wednesday night, I was back in Rio Lindo to baptize some of the youth, and I'll have a chance to do, baptize some more this afternoon. And, and I, was, I was up there Wednesday night, and the guy pulled me aside and said, man, when you were saying that stuff, man, that was me. That was me. It's not fun, but I still get involved in this stuff. I party, and I don't even really know why I party. I guess because everybody's doing it. He says, I guess what the devil has is just more fun. I said, what? He said, yeah, I guess. I said, well, then why are you talking to me if it's so much fun? Why are you so, why are you so ashamed after all this stuff? Why do you keep on wondering to yourself, is this it? If it's so much fun. Let me tell you what's so much fun. Let me tell you the things that are fun. The things that are fun are really what God actually blesses us with. Some of you are like, yeah, you know, when we're, you know, you know, lighting up some plants, stuff from the earth with my boys and having a good time, you say that's the part that's fun. But that's not the part that's fun. The part that's fun is actually being connected to your friends. He said, but pastor, but you, you know, but when I'm on this stuff, I just, I don't know, everything just seems better. That's why I don't even know if it's really wrong. Everything seems just, you know, to be more exciting. I just, even if I'm on the computer, it's more exciting if I'm on this stuff. And I said, let, let me tell you something. If I'm around you during that time, you think you're having fun, I think you look stupid. Can I be real? I mean, I hate to use that word, but I have to be real. I think you look, I'm, I think you look absolutely crazy. Here you are having fun, thinking you're having a good time with your friends, and you just look crazy. One young lady told me at, at a school, she said, she says, well, you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Even if we drink, I mean, if we're having a good time with our friends, and I think it's fun, and I don't think you should judge or anything like that. I'm like, but what makes you think you're having fun? Well, because we are, we're laughing. I said, you can't laugh without drinking? Are you serious? Well, you know, I just feel like I can be more me. Really? That's the real you? The real you is tripping up and getting into my personal space and then talking about Smurfs? Is that the real you? Because if that's the real you, I don't really want to know you. What made us think that that was cool and that was fun? Oh, man, we had the best time, dude. We were, oh, my goodness, it was so crazy that weekend. Oh, what a blast, man. Oh, man, we did so much stuff. What'd you do? Oh, man, I, man, well, you know, I forgot a lot of what we did, but, man, that was, wow. Click, 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 click. No, that was awesome. Really? Somebody has stole our identity. Somebody has made us think that something really is exciting when it's really not. But we'll do it because everyone else is doing it. The same guy, the same guy I was talking with, he was telling me, he said, well, I don't know why I'm still tempted. You're right. Everything you're saying, you're right. I have felt that way. I have one of those same things. You're at, I can't even argue with you, but why do I still want to do it? I said, I'll tell you why. Because everyone else is doing it. God has designed us that we actually want to be around community. So when you look around and you see people here, you think you're at the right place. Okay, all right, cool. I told him, I said, if there were seven other guys just like you wanting to read the Bible and say, hey, man, we're going to have a Bible study tonight. Man, listen, we're going to be studying the book of Genesis. I guarantee you, you would think it was fun. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. 
That's why it's so important, young people, it's so important for you to be able to stand up at even at your age and say, you know what? Some of this stuff didn't even work for my older brother. It didn't even work for my parents. And it didn't even work for my friends. So it for sure is not going to work for me. Maybe I need to try a different path, a new way. Maybe I need to not try to steal things that aren't mine. Maybe I should be satisfied with where I am, what God has blessed me with, and be okay with it. Maybe even if I'm a servant, maybe if I'm not the prettiest or the tallest or the most athletic, maybe, maybe, maybe I am not the most popular. It's okay. I don't have to be. Maybe I'll be the one in the classroom that serves. Maybe I'll be the one in the classroom that's known for being kind. Maybe I'll be the one in the classroom that's known for being loving. Maybe I'll be the one in the classroom that's known for for being studious and being respectful. Maybe that will be my MO. Maybe that's my identity. Maybe that's what God called me to be. Instead of looking at any video or a magazine or, 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 or looking at anything else and saying that, that that's what I have to have or else I won't be happy. Now, we've already talked about this before. You know this. You, you know that Adam and Eve were happy in the Garden of Eden. Do you know the devil tricked her into thinking she wasn't happy? That's how sin came into this world. She was tricked into thinking she didn't have everything she already had. She was tricked into thinking she wasn't who she already was. She was already like God. And Satan said, no, you're not. And she said, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. But if you eat this, you will be. Oh, okay. Someone stole her identity and someone's trying to steal yours. So what decision are you going to make? What choice are you going to make? You know what's interesting here is that, unfortunately, Esau, as he was growing up, because his mother favored, his mother favored a, a, a Jacob, and because Jacob was able to, to uh, steal his birthright, so to speak, sell him his birthright, and of course, I know on a full stomach, he was thinking, why did I do that? But again, on a full stomach, you make better decisions, don't you? On an empty stomach, you're with people you don't even know why you're with, but on a full stomach, you a little more... Uh, uh, discriminant in how you handle your business. So I'm sure, Jake, so I'm sure Esau is, is frustrated by the choices that he's made, but the Bible tells us that not only, does, not only does Jacob take his birthright, but eventually he'll even steal a blessing. Even when his father's about to die, he tries to dress up like Esau. He tries to smell like Esau. He puts on some fur from an animal so that he will be as hairy as Esau. So when the father who is blind and is wanting to bless his son before he dies, he, Jacob, pretends he's his brother Esau. He's doing all that he can do to steal something that is not his. He is trying to steal his brother Esau's identity. And some of us had stood back and said, well, pastor, but didn't God prophesy? Listen, it didn't have to go down like that. Don't you think for a second that God needs deception in order to accomplish his will? Don't you think for a second that God needs for you to be ugly and mean and cruel in order for him to bless you? If God's said he's going to do it for you, you trust him and you let God do it in his time and in his way. Don't you do it any other way because some of you are with the right person, but you got with them in the wrong way. And now you have drama in your relationship and you're saying, but wasn't this the right person for me? And God is saying, yes, it was, but you had to do it your way. Someone has stolen our identity, and we need to get it back. We need to get to a point where we're, we're satisfied and content with being on the tricycle. It's okay. 
It's okay if little bro, little sister, older brother has maybe a little bit more than us. Maybe our lot in life is that we get to be servants. Esau got to the point, family, and it's so sad. He got to the point where he just thought he was supposed to be the bad son. He had been tricked. He had been deceived. And even when his mother was saying to Jacob, Jacob, you go over here and you meet a nice, good Christian girl. I want you to go over here and I want you to hang out at this church. Esau overheard and said, all right, I'm going to find me a girl somewhere else. Somehow he was like trying to do the whole self-fulfilling prophecy. Mom has always called me the bad kid, so I'm going to continue to be the bad kid. Big sister is, is a good student, and I struggle in school. I guess that's who I have to always be. She's going to be the good student, and I'm always going to get bad grades. Who told you that was your identity? Well, my dad told me that I'm just like my mom, and my mom told me I was just like my dad. So, you know, I know how my dad is, and he's not really that good of a guy right now, so I guess I'm not that good of a boy. Who stole your identity? Who stole your identity? I don't care what people said about you. If it doesn't agree with what God says about you, then it's not true. If it doesn't agree with what God says about you, then it's not true. That person is lying about you. But they're my mom and dad. They're lying about you. You know my younger brother, Greg? was terrible in school. My mom used to just cater to him. He didn't want to go to kindergarten. He didn't have to go. He wanted to stay home and watch cartoons. He, he could do that. My brother didn't pass kindergarten. How do you not pass kindergarten? How? They sent him to pre-first. Pre-first grade? Really? My brother had a hard time reading. He, 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 would, he would try to read through the Bible times for during our family worship. And every time it was his turn to read, my older brother and I would look at each other and roll our eyes like, oh goodness, we're going to be here for another couple of hours. He would just struggle. He would try to get those words together. And he just had a difficult time. And he wasn't, he wasn't good at reading. He wasn't good at math. And during our summer vacation at our grandparents' house here in Vallejo, you know, we were playing with our toys. And, and, and Greg had to, he had to work with flashcards. And we just think, he didn't, we didn't think he was too bright. He was just a baby. He was just a runt. He was just spoiled. But something happened to Brother Greg. Every summer, he just kept working harder and harder. He wasn't going to accept the labels that I would try to put on him at some times, and my brother would put on him sometimes just making fun of him. He wasn't going to be that kid that was just slow and couldn't work it out and couldn't put his words together. He just kept working, and he kept working, and his fashion was a little bit off too. He was a, he was a little bit, you know, a little bit awkward, and, and it didn't stop him. My brother kept working harder and harder and harder. Before you know it, my brother was on the honor roll. All he he would do was bring home straight A's when I was bringing home B's. He went to college and graduated cum laude, mama, whatever, right? 
my brother went to law school in Southern California and his first year was very tough. He was right there on the brink and, and, he, and he, he was discouraged. He says, I don't know if I can make it through this year, but he kept working. He made it through that first year by the skin of his teeth. And his second and third year came, he began to ace everything. My brother then had to take the bar so that he could be a lawyer. He took it the first time and he didn't make it. He took it the second time and he didn't pass. He took it a third time and he didn't pass. Some people were beginning to say, maybe this isn't your thing. I even ventured to say, brother, well, well maybe, maybe teaching is your thing. You've always liked teaching. He says, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. So he kept working hard, and I'll never forget, he, he called me up one Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, calls me up. He was in Kinko's on the internet, wanting to find out who passed. And guess who passed? Little G. My brother worked so hard. He is one of the top public defenders in Riverside County. They moved him from a level one to a level three in one of the shortest spans ever. This guy has won more cases than any public defender in his category. In that county, he defends people. He tries to bless people. He tries to help people. He talks to some of these guys who are knuckleheads and says, listen, stop being silly. Stop being ignorant. Stop getting yourself in trouble. I'm going to have your back in this case. I'm going to work hard. He, sometimes I call him up. I say, hey, Greg, you want to do this? He says, no, man, I'm working on a case right now. This guy is looking at a third strike. I don't want him to go to prison. I want to help him out. I want to see if I can get him back on the right track. I want to see if I can, I can restore his identity. I want to see if I can remind him who he should be. And so I'm going to work hard for him. And that's what my little brother does. And remember when I told him I thought he should be a teacher? Well, he's that as well. At night, he teaches. You can do all things through who? We need to be reminded of our identity. Don't let any prophecy that a parent or a teacher, a pastor, a friend that was negative rule your life. You don't have to follow the trajectory of your choices. Just because you made one bad choice doesn't mean the rest of your life has to be full of bad choices. You might have stepped out. You might have been unfaithful. You might have done something wrong that, 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 that destroyed a relationship or a family. That doesn't mean from this point on that is your story. That's the character you have to play. You have to always be that way. You can begin to make choices right now that are who you are and should be. God is reminding you today of who you are. No one, don't let anyone steal your identity. You are one of the children of God. That's who you are. That's who you were designed to be. If you're in a tricycle or a big wheel, be who you've called, been called to be. You guys ready to do that? You ready to recognize your identity? To follow in the steps that Christ has walked in? Follow the trajectory of the cross. It's a path of being a servant. It's a path of humility. It's a path at times of meekness. But it's the right path. It's the path that God calls you to walk. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for reminding us of who we are. Father, forgive us for being in the habit of stealing things. Wanting to steal people's identity that's not even ours. Here we were trying to be like a thug, and we're not. 
or from San Leandro. Here we are trying to act like we're a player, and we're not. We're actually a sweet guy. Here we are using substances to, to make us think that we, we can be cool or make us think we can be more of who we think we are. And, and really, orange juice is our favorite beverage. Father, may we be reminded of who we are. May we learn to be satisfied at times just being on the tricycle, even when other kids have big wheels. May we be excited to share our toys. May we be okay when you look at our drawing and look at everyone else's drawing and say, you love it just the same, that you love us all the same. Father, may we be reminded of who we are in you. Let no one steal our identity. May we not give it away. May we not sell it. May we not make choices on an empty stomach. May we not give away what you blessed us with. So, Father, we're not going to follow the trajectory of our bad choices. We're going to follow the trajectory of your good choice that you made at Calvary. We're going to follow the second chance you've given us to realize who we can be in you. So though there may be two nations, or three nations, or four nations, may it be so that we can share, not so that we can fight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. takes to climb out of this boat I'm in onto the crashing waves to step out of my comfort zone until the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand but the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me tried before and failed the ways they keep on telling me time and time again oh you'll never win you'll never win you'll never win oh what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant just a sling and a stone surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors shaking in their armor wishing they'd have had the strength to stand but the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed the giant keeps on telling me time and time again, oh, you'll never win, you'll never win. But the stone was just the right size to take the giant down. And the waves don't seem so high when I'm standing on top of them looking down. 
I could soar with the wings of eagles If I could just ignore the sound Of the waves and the giants The waves and the giants in my mind Lord, you've not given me A spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind So from now on I won't let the tempter's lies Turn my eyes away from the prize That you have set before me That you have set before me Thank you, God.